first, our Asia update. And tonight, we'll look at what's been making news in, yes, Hong Kong, Taiwan and China. We're joined by Emily Feng, NPR's Beijing correspondent, talking to us from Taiwan. Welcome to the program, Emily. And before we get on to the balloon, tell me about this horrific show trial in Hong Kong. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me and good evening to you. I've been watching this trial happening in Hong Kong that's just started over the last couple of days. It's expected to take up to three months before it concludes, but it's a landmark case because the largest number of defendants are being tried right now in Hong Kong on national security charges. That means that they could face up to life in prison, and all of them are activists, pro-democracy people who are really, really active in these anti-government protests that began in 2019. So whatever happens to them, it will mark the future of the city. Unfortunately, it's looking quite grim. They're facing a jury list trial against a judge that's picked by Beijing. And as a result of the 47 people who were charged already, 31 of them have pled guilty. They just simply don't see the point of standing trial and only 16 are contesting their charges. And we're talking about people who've been held in custody without bail for two years. That's a really important point, yes, because they've been charged under this national security law that Beijing put into place in 2020. It means that for security purposes, they've been detained without bail for more than two years before being even tried. That's highly unusual in Hong Kong, which before the national security law was known for a place that had rule of law, that had this British style court system, and it was somehow legally firewalled from the rest of mainland China. But unfortunately, the kind of secretive, um, opaque justice system that we see in the mainland in China has been exported to Hong Kong. And that's also why this trial has been so interesting and also tragic to watch. And of course, what we're seeing is what's left of democracy itself on trial. These people who are on trial represented all levels of civil society. So among those who are contesting their charges are former legislators, former academics and professors at universities, writers and journalists, young activists, including Joshua Wong, who's a figure that many Australians might be familiar with. So these are people of all ages and walks of life who, for various reasons, became active in the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. And so it's been representative, if you can say that, to have them all in trial at the same time. It's really kind of a takedown of the heart of Hong Kong civil society. And I take it the well-controlled media is reporting it solidly on the Beijing line. Well, Hong Kong still has a quite thriving journalism scene. They were known for being an incredibly combative local press corps. And the spirit of that remains, despite the fact that some of the largest independent media outlets have already been closed because their editors and publishers have been arrested, some of them under the same national security law that these activists are now facing this month. But that being said, there are still lots of Hong Kong reporters who are going to the trial, waiting outside, trying to send messages of support to the defendants and covering the trial when it convenes. Of course, people are not um, they're not allowed into the courtroom. This is a closed trial, so there's limited information about what they can get. But I have to give the Hong Kong reporters credit. They're still trying to do their jobs, even though they've been severely constrained. Let's now move to the balloon saga. We know the US response all too well. How is Beijing playing it? 
very cautiously, and I think this might surprise some listeners who have been reading only headlines about Beijing's response. They've, of course, taken the expected stance, which is to be defensive, to not admit any wrongdoing. And then in the last couple of days this week, they've hit back with their own allegations that the U.S. has flown its own surveillance balloons into Chinese airspace without Beijing's permission. The U.S. has resolutely denied this. However, I think China has actually been quite quite cautious, relatively speaking, in how it's reacted. It hasn't, uh, higher leaders um, have not come out with statements. So only the foreign ministry so far has been coming out with statements. This is the most outward facing ministry in the Chinese government. And only their spokespeople have been issuing statements rather than someone much higher, say at the foreign ministerial level. And at first they expressed what they called regret over the fact that this civilian airship, which was their explanation, had accidentally blown into U.S. territory. Now, there are U.S. media reports that suggest the U.S. military was tracking this surveillance balloon as soon as it left its home base on a tropical island off the eastern coast of China, and that it seemed to have accidentally blown into uh, U.S. territory. So perhaps the Chinese story about it being there uh, not on purpose could be true. But but um, so China has actually, I think, been relatively measured in how it's responded. Unfortunately, this whole explanation about how this balloon was there for meteorological reasons only seems to have really upset U.S. officials. And that's what's really pushed, for example, the U.S. Secretary of State to cancel his visit to China. I, well. I, wa- I want to look at that in a moment because that's a very sad consequence. But I understand that on Monday, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson said that U.S. balloons made more than 10 illegal incursions into Chinese airspace last year. Right. And it's interesting, you know, I just mentioned that. Why is that coming up now, though? If this has happened since January 2022, as the Chinese foreign ministry claims, why is China bringing that up now? And of course, this is an escalation, but I think it's to be expected. China needs to uh, it needs to cater to its domestic audience. It cannot be seen to be admitting defeat or to make an outright apology to the U.S. At the same time, as I mentioned before, China has been really, really careful not to escalate this too quickly. But at the same time, there's been no off-ramp, so neither country has given each other an olive branch where they can de-escalate the situation. I'm talking to NPR's Emily Feng. Now, as as you've already pointed out, the timing's terrible because Anthony Blinken was on his way to China, effectively, and things were looking up for the relationship. Right. There was this momentum. The leaders of the two countries had met in Indonesia the November before. They wanted to bring what they were calling the G20 spirit of detente, perhaps, and actually get Blinken into Beijing, admittedly for a really short visit, though the two countries never officially confirmed that trip was going to happen. And then, ironically, at the moment where the two countries might have built up some kind of ceasefire in the diplomatic relationship, you get this balloon that blows everything up. And now we're, I think, worse off than we were before. So the first high-level visit from a top U.S. official in more than five years cancelled. Any hint that it could be rescheduled, Emily? No, and it's not clear that China is ready to do what it might take for the U.S. to reschedule that visit. And so this is what I mean by no side offering each other an off-ramp, an excuse to, in good faith, reschedule this visit. And that's really unfortunate. Meanwhile, there's, uh, well, there's, dangerous talk in a sense of House Speaker Kevin visiting Taiwan, which if it happens will only add to tensions. 
Yes, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. Well, now that there have been reports that Kevin McCarthy might come to Taiwan, where I am now, uh, the the count is on for Beijing and the U.S. to somehow reschedule a diplomatic visit before a congressional visit. And the reason why that's important is because you'd really like to lower the temperature in the room between these two countries before the Speaker of the House comes to Taiwan, as he very likely is. China is likely going to throw another diplomatic tantrum. It's going to put military exercises around the island in Taiwan again. And so it's really good to have at least diplomatic talks to set some guardrails in the relationship before China has to throw this kind of scheduled uh, fit again. Uh, now, speaking of Taiwan, that's where you are at the moment. What's been the reaction to the unfolding saga there? Well, Taiwan has been following this balloon saga closely because Various officials have said they've seen similar balloons flying over Taiwan in the last couple of years as well. Now, the Taiwanese military has come out and said very clearly that they've seen balloons, but they're not surveillance balloons. They're coming from China, but they think they were only here for weather research. They said they did not disclose their knowledge of these Chinese balloons at the time because they didn't want to send the Taiwanese public into a panic. People are really skeptical here. And of course, they're really on edge because they're much closer to China than the U.S. is, and they're on the front lines of any kind of Chinese military aggression. Now, the COVID uh, wave is breaking, I guess, and uh, China has announced it's reopening out after three long years. How's it going? It was astonishing how fast COVID ripped through the country. It very much appears that the first initial wave that infected basically 80, 90 percent, according to some public health estimates of the country, passed by mid-January, which means that COVID spread through most of this country of nearly 1.4 billion people in about a month and a half. Now, of course, that had disastrous consequences. More people than necessary died because hospitals were completely overwhelmed. The majority of those dead are people above the age of 80. It's a massive tragedy. At the same time, they've built up a lot of public immunity. And so it might be a long while before we see another second peak. That means they've bought themselves some time to recover their economy, which was just absolutely decimated at a local level because of nearly three years of COVID restrictions. And... Uh, well, we've lost them, but uh, we also know that last month, for the first time in nearly six decades, deaths outnumbered births in China last year. We've known it was coming, but it's going to have huge economic and social impacts. I've been talking to Emily Feng, who's currently writing a book called uh, Let Only Red Flowers Bloom. And uh, we must get Emily back to discuss that book when she's completed it. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.